listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. We've been in a series on 1 John for the last seven weeks or so, and we've kind of covered a lot of ground. We've had light and darkness, sin and forgiveness, lies and the truth. All of these really powerful contrasts and metaphors that that John uses over and over again, and, and he kind of builds on them. And today we're talking about love. Love is all over the place in the first epistle of John. In fact, Uh, The word love occurs more frequently here in the second half of 1 John than it does anywhere else in all of the New Testament. So we're going to double-click on that one little word today, love. I'm talking about love. Now, the problem is when we use the word love in our everyday language, we mean a whole bunch of different things, right? Like, I love pizza. I love the Vikings. I love my wife. And we mean very different things when we use the word in those ways. At least I hope you do. Now, there's some diehard fans out there. But, so in English, we use this single word, love, to translate many different uh, words in in Greek and Hebrew and and all this this stuff. So the challenge, then, is for us to do a deep dive on love and hear what John is is talking about. So that's where we're looking at today. And as I read this text, I want you to listen closely for the word love. And I'll ask you to rise this morning as we read our text. This is from 1 John chapter 2 beginning at verse 28, and I'll read through chapter 3, verse 10. 1 John 2, beginning at verse 28. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as He is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let's pray. 
Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. God, I ask that as I speak, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. C.S. Lewis once said this about love. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. Here's the main point for today, and we'll spend the rest of this morning unpacking it. True love is meant to be given away. True love is meant to be given away. And this comes directly from verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us. We can lock our love away. We can deny it. We can redirect it toward other objects, usually the wrong ones. And we can sell it to the highest bidder, but love wasn't meant for any of these things. True love was meant to be shared. It was meant to be given away. And when this happens, there's a whole constellation of surprising and, and beautiful effects that follow. We're going to talk about three of those effects this morning. Three things that happen when true love is given away. Effect number one. Estrangement ends. Estrangement ends. Being estranged from someone you love is an incredibly painful thing. I know this on a personal level, and I know that many of you do as well. Some of us have family members that we haven't seen in years, maybe even decades. Brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, cousins, uncles, aunts. Sometimes they cut themselves off, in which case it's, it's out of your control. Sometimes the family cuts them off and they're removed without saying anything from the, the group text or the email thread. Maybe harsh words were exchanged at, at one point and that, that intense little 30-second conversation set the course for the next 10 to 20 years. And you never recovered from it. We know what estrangement feels like, don't we? This side of heaven, even on our best days, our love and our ability to receive love are always half-hearted, lukewarm, and riddled with mixed motives. But contrast that, contrast our love with God's love for us in verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Because of the cross and because of what Jesus did there, 
God calls us His children. He brings us into His family. He gives us a place to belong. We're no longer estranged. We're His sons and daughters. Like the father in the parable of the prodigal son, when God saw us at the end of our rope, He sprinted headlong from heaven to earth to rescue us, to throw His arms around us, to embrace us, to restore us fully to sonship. And then to invite us to His heavenly party. (laughs) He couldn't stand to be estranged. So He reached out His arms wide for us at Calvary and said, This is how much I love you. And then he took the nails for our prodigal hearts. Paul puts it this way in Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So there we go. Point number one. True love was meant to be given away. And when that happens, estrangement ends. That's number one. Number two, when love gets given away, shame is expelled. Shame is expelled. I want you to take a look at verse 28 of our passage again today. This is from chapter 2. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. In his novel, Remembering, Wendell Berry tells the story of a Kentucky farmer named Andy Catlett and his battle with shame. One warm summer evening, Andy and a group of neighbors were helping a younger farmer bring in the harvest of corn. Andy himself ran the corn harvesting machine. At one point, the machine jammed up and drew Andy's right hand into its gears. In the confusion of the moment, Andy describes how he felt that he also had given his right hand to the corn harvester. Later, his wife asked him, what have you done to yourself? With deep shame, he replied, I've ruined my hand. Andy felt defective, and he pushed away the very person who could help him heal and rebuild his life. Shame is an incredibly powerful thing. Whether it's a physical defect, a past sin, mom guilt, failure in school or sports, or the inability to to measure up as a son or, or a daughter or an employee, right? Shame, it just haunts us. But when true love is given away, When God gives us His love freely and we receive it, shame is expelled. Why? Because when you are confident in your belovedness, everything else is secondary. When God calls you His beloved son or daughter, that is what you are. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. You see, shame tells us we are only our past mistakes. But Jesus tells us we are His perfect righteousness. 
all of the skeletons in your closet, all of the words you wish you could take back, all of the imperfections you see looking back at you from the mirror, all of the scars that that you've dealt and that you've given to others, and the scars that you've received from others. He died for those. All of your shame is covered by the blood of Christ. You are no longer defined by your failures, but by God's perfect love. In the story I mentioned earlier, Andy Catlett, he eventually does open up to a fellow farmer about his hand injury. Uh, The the friend is, is named Danny Branch. And Barry's novel describes their relationship. He says, they learned how to work together, the one-handed old man and the two-handed. They know as one where the next move needs to be. They are not swift, but they don't fumble. Between us, says Danny Branch, we've got three hands. Everybody needs at least three. Nobody ever needed more. Danny's steadfast love unlocked something within Andy, giving him the freedom to move beyond his shame. So friends, true love is meant to be given away, and when that happens, shame is expelled. That's number two. Finally, number three, transformation occurs. When when true love is given away, transformation occurs. Listen again here to verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. You hear it? We shall be like Him. In other words, God is changing us, and He is going to change us. He's going to bring that change about to its fullness There's this this weird thing that begins to happen when someone loves you unconditionally. You begin to change. But here's the thing that I've, I've noticed about that. Change never happens when it's the goal, right? Like, if I make it my goal to change someone, every single time the reaction is going to be anger, frustration, and I'm just going to push them farther away, right? I mean, if I tell my wife, Uh, Honey, I've noticed you have a lack of patience when you're parenting our child. We really need to fix that. What's going to happen? Nothing good, right? I'm just going to make her angry and drive her away. And and here's the thing. Even if, like, even if those words kind of externally cause some change in her behavior, which, by the way, this is a terrible example. The role should be reversed. So please don't speak to my wife about this afterwards. Even if we're able to change behavior and externals, and even if my wife is now able to count to ten and maybe take some deep breaths, in her heart, what's going on? She's resenting me. She's angry, frustrated. See, change doesn't happen when when you focus and fixate on making it happen. You might be able to modify behavior with the law, but you can never modify the heart. 
least not in a good way. Only the gospel can do that. William Shakespeare puts it like this. Love is not love, which alters when it alteration finds. Love is not love, which alters when it alteration finds. What does he mean by this? Basically, if, you, if your love for someone fluctuates because you don't like something about them, that means it was never true love in the first place. True love doesn't alter when it encounters an alteration in another. But when true love is, is given away, that is to say, when God, because of Jesus, loves us perfectly, transformation occurs, but more as a, as a side effect rather than the goal. You can think of it this way. God doesn't love us because we change, but His love does change us. God doesn't love us because we change, but His love does change us. And what kind of change are we talking about here? Well, our, our catechism puts it this way. It says, a growing love for God and other people, a desire to do God's will in all things, and also self-denial in striving against the devil, the world, and my own sinful human nature. Just like heat transfers from gas to flame to burner to tea kettle, transforming the water into steam, God's love warms and transforms us just by being in its vicinity. See, God is He's always at work in our hearts, rooting out the problem areas and daily making us more and more into His image, enabling us to fight sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. When true love is given away, transformation happens. If you don't believe me, you can ask my wife. I'm a little bit less of a jerk now than I was when I first met her. Transformation by osmosis. I want to close today with a story. It's a familiar story, and it goes something like this. A shabby character seeks to make himself lovable by his own efforts, only to discover the beautiful secret that true love is given and not earned. Hint, it's not Martin Luther. It's not the Apostle Paul. This character sports green overalls, has a missing button, and is covered in fur from head to foot. I'm speaking, of course, about Corduroy, the bear. Corduroy is a stuffed bear who lives in a big apartment store. Day after day, he longs for someone to buy him and bring him home. And day after day, what happens? Everybody just passes him by. After all, who would want a bear with a missing button and a broken shoulder strap? And when he's confronted with this defect of his for the first time, he didn't know about it. Corduroy is he's just utterly shocked. So he seeks to remedy the situation, embarking on a noble quest to fix himself. If he can find a replacement button and correct his glaring flaw, he will finally be lovable, or so he thinks. So late at night, after all the shoppers have gone home, he hops off his shelf, searching and, and scouring and climbing 
mountains, which is his word for escalators, and beds. Corduroy leaves no stone unturned in his self-improvement project. But he's unsuccessful, and morning finds him back on the shelf in the same flawed condition as the night before. But he's in for a surprise. As the store opens, a little girl with a big smile on her face bursts in. Her name is Lisa, and she wants corduroy more than anything. Missing button and all. She opens her purse, pays the price, and rushes home with the imperfect bear in her arms. And Lisa could not be more pleased with her purchase. And there, in the security of his new home, where he is unconditionally loved and accepted, Corduroy finally receives a new button, which Lisa sews on herself. I like you the way you are, Lisa says. But you'll be more comfortable with your shoulder strap fastened. In the end, the one-buttoned, bib-overalled bear learns the beautiful truth that he is loved in spite of himself and that this state of loveliness is attained not through his own efforts, but through the merciful actions of another who pays the price to make him whole and name him as her own. Just say amen right there, right? The gospel connection could not be more clear. Like Lisa in the story of Corduroy, God paid the price to name us as his own. To give us a home and then to fix our flaws in that order. Because guys, when true love is given away, estrangement ends, shame is expelled, transformation occurs. And that, dear friends, is good news for the corduroy in all of us. Let's pray. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.